0: We're we're not in the era where there's a very large percentage of people who are buying mechanical watches and relying on them for career or life. These are sort of fun enthusiast toys, just like fast cars. And just like fast cars, it's not the idea that it can go fast, but you actually care how fast it can go. It's not just like, and there's this amazing big engine and look at these brakes and we theorize it goes really fast. That's not enough. Brands that are underdogs right now who happen to have a lot of accuracy I think we'll get a lot more attention. And maybe brands that thought that were very, you know, top of the market and great, but that don't actually perform that well. Well maybe they need to step it up a little bit.
1: On this week's show, Rolex take on Wee Genie from
2: Preschool, Ariel makes a list, hashtag listgate, We look at some outlandish numbers from Swatch, Bremen, and JLC, all in the company of YouTuber Pete McConville.
1: Enjoy the show greetings and welcome to this week's a blog to watch weekly there are four musketeers Uh, this particular week we have david good morning david how are you good morning greg good morning everyone doing fine
2: ready to roll this week
1: good good ariel how are you how are the sleepless nights
0: I'm energized, as always, midnight.
1: Energized at midnight, that's good. And we have special guest from the not-so-obviously-now-named, not-so-obvious-watch channel, now named after his titular self. We have Mr. Peter McConville, all the way from the sunshine that is the southern hemisphere at this time of year. Pete, how are you?
3: I'm very well, thank you,
1: Rick. Thank you very much for the invite. Very excited to be here. Good, good. And when did your channel change to self-identify as Peter McConville Watches? Well, because I'm a YouTuber,
3: it had to be when every other YouTuber did it. (laughs) (laughs) So probably about four months ago, I'm thinking. And yes, it very much was kind of, I've been thinking about it for a while, kicking it around and then everyone else did it. And I'll freely say, yeah, I joined in the, the sort of tribal thing and and joined it has made absolutely zero difference to the analytics and the algorithm does not care one iota but gone ahead and done it anyway
1: good stuff well it means you're now properly famous with your own name on the door this week we have lots to cover so we will crack on looking at a bit of a theme for this show which is this week ariel's monday article and ariel i think this is dangerously close to you making a list so i i think i think you've broken your duck this appears to be a list of things you would like to see in 2023 go on defend yourself
0: it's not a top <laughs> list it's just a list
1: <laughs> so this is in no particular order
0: it's just things that i was thinking that's okay <laughs> It's not to the exclusion of other items.
1: Okay, so we don't need to stay within the boundaries there of this particular non-list list for 2023. Yes. Ariel, tell us the things that you think we should be seeing in 2023.
0: Well, okay, so a little bit of context here. And I sort of got into this in the commentary with someone who brought up some interesting points. But this is the thing. Every single year, the watch industry has to present what they call novelty. Sometimes they use the term innovation. Sometimes industries literally just say newness. The idea is that consumers need some reason to act and they need people buying new products on a regular basis. So, as much as watch appreciation is great, they also need watch purchasing behavior to happen. And again, consumers really only buy something new if that thing has some differences from the thing that came before it, right? If you just say, hey, we made the perfect watch. We no longer need to make any others. That company is only going to sell new watches when new people are born or their perfect watch breaks every once in a while. That's actually not very good for business. And so some of the points people made was like, well, the watch is already great. There's really not too much you can improve upon. And then, okay, well, then the entire industry just sort of lays down their arms and say, okay, we give up. We're not trying to make money anymore. So I want people to understand. I'm not saying like, oh my God, there's all these problems with watches. We got to change things. Like I'm not being a revolutionary here. I'm simply being practical, and I'm talking about things that can feasibly changed or adapted uh, or, or, you know, innovated within to look for new areas to create commercial activity and interest. So in an ideal circumstance, this adds value to us as consumers and enthusiasts. We're excited. We're happy and people can make money from it. So that's the, <laughs> the context here. And I brought up a couple of items that I think that brands can work on that they may have not invested in at all or enough. And the first thing is about new straps or bracelets, I guess you can include that. And the idea is essentially this, you buy a watch and a little while later to spruce up that watch or to add some flavor to it, you might wanna replace the strap or the bracelet with something else that fits brands know what you just bought and frequently they know how to reach you. And so why can't they at some interval every four months or six months after you buy it, not two weeks, but give them a little while. Be like, we're so happy you enjoy your purchase. Here's a special deal on a new strap, which is specifically designed to go with your watch. Here's some pictures on it. You don't need to buy a whole new watch, but you can make your watch fresh. And every several months they do that. It keeps the watch on people's wrist. It makes them happy and oftentimes people complain that they want to buy a new strap but the process isn't as direct so this is something that i'm suggesting it's use technology use uh, crm software to try to you know create processes and technology around doing this i think enthusiasts can be happy and i think brands can make money
1: so let's talk about that for a second yeah so yeah i think that's a good idea i see where you're coming from but how do you think the fact that straps and in particular bracelets seem so disproportionately expensive to the price of the watch that you're buying in the first place. Especially the bracelet. You buy the bracelet when the watch is new and it's a few hundred dollars more than buying it in the strap or the the, the, you know, the rubber. But if you were to buy it separately, it's like a you know, for a reasonably mid market luxury watch. That's a thousand dollars for the strap. It's like a fifth of the price of the watch. Do you think that the the brands would fundamentally have to restructure how they charge for something like that to actually work.
0: The thing is this, that's actually a very easy area to experiment. If you just change the prices of all of your watches even a little bit, the entire industry takes notice. You you like you know cut the the price of your straps in half overnight and no one's going to even notice anything. A couple of people here and there for the most part There's a lot of things that brands can do to play around within this area, a lot of creative ways that they can experiment with pricing. I'm not here to tell brands what they should be charging. That's something that the market's going to have to decide. If they want to charge a fortune for their straps, $1,000, try it. If you can't do it, well, then try something else. I always recommend that brands start low and then maybe work their way up. I don't like it when they get so expensive right out of the gate. But again, this isn't about the nitty-gritty of what it should be priced at. I mean, as a consumer... What do I want? I want to be as cheap as possible. That's what I want. But the brand has, you know, some other ideas. So it's really (laughs) going to be a balance between the various interests. So I, I agree that there's a lot of experimentation that needs to be done. But think about this. We're all here. Many years later, like 70 years after the dive watch came out, still arguing about what the perfect dive watch is. There's no perfect formula, but there's a couple that work well. And I think that the same thing happens with everything in the watch industry. There's no exact one way of doing it. Maybe a half a dozen ways are going to be how to do it. But we need to sort of experiment prolifically to figure that out.
1: Pete, have you got a drawer full of alternative straps for your watch collection? Or is it one watch, one strap?
3: Absolutely. I hope
0: everyone does. Yeah, I hope I've, so. I've got
3: boxes and boxes of extra straps. And it's rare for me to keep a, a watch on the uh, OEM strap. I've actually got a massive great box of OEM straps and bracelets where everything ends up. I actually agree completely with what Ariel's just said here. and I thinking, was thinking about things that you could do along the lines of Ariel's sort of suggestions. And one of the things I think is that sort of constrains the watch industry is it only makes money by selling us watches. And it doesn't, there's, there must be so much other merch, so many other activities that they could make money, you know, a brand like Breitling could make money or a brand like Omega could make money from people that would never be able to buy a $7,000 watch, but, will buy something else car companies make a fortune from people buying their hats of their their company i I,
0: I have to comment here because i i so agree with you i remember that a while ago and again tag hoyer has sold other things remember they sold eyewear for a long time and they even had a mobile phone but there was a period of time where they were selling those really cool like leather jackets yeah you've seen some of those and you could go to a store and buy and buy those and they stopped doing that and You can see across many brands how the, uh, we'll call it collateral accessories, do quite well. The problem, and and again, I've asked this question many times, is essentially they can barely get themselves together to sell the watches. (laughs) They don't have any extra bandwidth, people, capacity of any kind to go beyond that. Once in a while, we get lucky and they order some like gifts that they give away or something like that. But, you know, they don't have to put those in the inventory. They don't have to train anyone. It's hard enough in in their shoes for whatever to just do what they do. So I agree with you. I think that what needs to happen is the licensing of this stuff. There needs to be a couple of companies who probably are going to be in Switzerland because that's the only ones they trust who are like, you know what? We're going to make your hats and your jackets and some things like that. We're only going to do it to the, your, you and your fine friends. And uh, that makes sure that you all have sort of like good quality. Some of them will be higher and lower. But you, you, brands will be able to go to these organizations or these companies to get like a whole, you know, merchandise collection done that are going to be better than the trade show giveaway hats. But maybe not as nice as their watches, right? Somewhere in between. And, and I think certain brands would do great to experiment with. That. I think Omega and Tag Heuer and a few others are, are really perfect examples because they've got such a richness to the history and brand so much visuals, you know, that they could do these types of things. So I, I'm I'm on your side, but I didn't put that on this list because I don't even think they're ready yet for that, <laughs> but I agree. Moving on.
1: Right, oh, so hold, hold on a second. I would just like to say, I would just like to quote you, Ariel didn't put it on the list. <laughs> just, just saying, just saying he didn't put it on the list. David, what should have gone on the list?
2: What should have gone on the list? Well, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I I will I will say this instead. Uh, I really like that Arya covered the idea of more durable materials and and color coatings and all that. I think that's that's super important and very underrated in the sense that a lot of these watches are way too fragile these days. Still, um, given the amount of money that they cost and and how easily they damage, um, take damage and sometimes damage themselves, like uh, how the clasp wears on basically any Rolex Oyster bracelet. If it's an Oyster lock, it's ridiculous. I. I brought this analogy that it's like it's like a door on an, or an, on an Audi damaging the frame of the car every time you open it or you use it. You know, it's ridiculous. And we accept a lot of nonsense from watches that we wouldn't accept, not just from cars, but even from phones. You know, much cheaper items that we throw away every two, three, four years. And so for sure, the durability of of the base materials and colours and all that is, you know, still has such a long way to go.
1: Well, it's entirely possible that in next week's show we're gonna have the world's most famous Daniel Wellington watch uh servicer. Uh, those okay. that know will know and he will debate with you the pros and cons of uh, ceramic watches ariel's looking confused he doesn't work for daniel wellington he just can't tell <laughs> us who he does work for so Sounds we just good. say he works for daniel wellington uh, ariel you did put on your non-list list case materials and colors is there a particular color in case material you think should rise above the others
0: well a couple of years ago I started thinking about why colors have become so popular, and I said that they were sort of a very socially acceptable alternative to diamonds and precious stones when you're trying to be flashy. I I still stand behind that, but I've since sort of come into an additional reason why colors are very, very popular, and it has to do with what I call the social media generation. We're presented with an enormous amount of content and products. What ends up happening, and this, this happens in nature, is the brightest, most flamboyant colors and things are what stand out. If we thought that when we were growing up we were presented with a lot of media, boy, we had no idea what was going to be presented (laughs) to us. Our brains, of course, can't focus on everything. And the way it works is we sort of will notice the most most strange or different. And so, again, exactly in the same way that is developed in the jungle, uh, wild colors and combinations thereof in a highly competitive visual environment are going to be those things that you notice. So I do believe that for the foreseeable future... Colors, bright colors are going to be a very important part of the watch industry, especially the luxury watch industry. And right now, we still can't do permanence in all the colors of the rainbow. Uh, there's certain colors that that ceramic can be produced in that are great, others that you can't. And so I think that there's really a lot more innovation that needs to happen so we can do any color, but with the types of permanence. David brought up the excellent point that the moon swatches that were very very popular. We're still fragile. People love the color combinations, but one of the first complaints was, I can't wear it like I want to wear it because it is so fragile. So I think that there's going to be an increasingly important market for very durable but very bright color watches. And we need to innovate technically in certain areas or use some technologies that are available in other industries into the watch industry so we can have those permanent bright colors. Ceramics is definitely part of it. There's a lot of experimentation, various types of carbons and composites. They're not even very well understood. And while some of them have amazing colors, uh, their durability and longevity is really not discussed. You know, brands can basically say whatever they want in a press release. But as David, again, has uh, has seen, when you try to scratch them, when you try to see how they wear, sometimes you're not very impressed in a watch that is Richard Mille-priced, right? So... I I think that that's that's an area that there needs to be a lot more movement on. Have
1: either of the three of you ever been involved with a watch brand saying, yeah, here is a case material. It is just the best thing, toughest thing since sliced bread. Go on, give it a try. And so you've got out the scratching tool and just put a great big scar straight through it or broken it without even looking at the thing to the shock and horror of those standing at the display or the (laughs) the, the the pr event tell us a horror story go on we like, we like to hear other people's misery I'm Scottish, It's what it's all about
2: We've broken a fair number of watches um, I guess I, I should say a, a fair number of watches have broken on us I think that's, that's a better <laughs> way of saying it Some were not advertised As super durable, but they Were advertised as something that actually Worked, and then when you try it It, it actually doesn't work, and this happens a lot Of the time with minute repeaters With complicated chronographs that just won't reset Properly, with, with complex um, you know, Calendar mechanisms that just break or just stop switching or something like that and this brings me on to the point that I I really respect those watches that were made complicated and work flawlessly and I'm yet to see for example like a longer tight tight work break on me or or just not function properly. So sometimes you see these watches that are over-engineered for the sake of being just complex and look at me, it's so complicated and then they break and just keep breaking constantly. To answer your question, well I did try, but I, I think I told this story on a, on a previous episode, but I did try to scratch the Magic Gold of Hublot, Uh that is 18 karat gold. So it's certified 18 karat gold. But the other stuff that they add to it make it super scratch resistant. And I couldn't couldn't put a scratch on it at all, uh, not with a key or not not with anything. And anything else that rubbed onto it and looked like a scratch, you could just wipe it off. So so that stands up to the test unless you you get at it with a diamond tool or something like that. In daily life, I don't think you could scratch uh, ceramic or or, or uh, magical.
1: Ariel, the next point you make in this article, I think, is probably the one that I hadn't really considered before. But upon consideration, it's like, yeah, this is so just how the rest of the kind of geek, in particular, the car industry works, which is stats comparison, and this is the standardization of watch accuracy accuracy results that are advertised. We have so many different ways of recording the accuracy of watches and so many different attitudes of the brands towards it. Seiko watches are far more accurate than advertised. Oh yeah. Rolexes are exactly, I don't know if you've ever driven a Mercedes. It's kind of got that German element to it, whereby if a Mercedes tells you it's got three miles left of it's fuel three in the tank, it's, it's got three miles left. Yeah. If a Range Rover tells you you've got three miles left, <laughs> you can probably drive it for another couple of days without <laughs> worrying about it. I, I mean, I remember as kids, you were playing top trumps with car stats. It was, my car will go from not to 60 in 4.2 seconds, or whatever it is. And this is just something that's entirely missing from the watch world, and so probably entirely missing from the marketing and as a way of getting probably teenagers and folk that are into that kind of stat life uh, into the hobby.
0: So, the current practice, again, is very historic and very legacy. And the idea is that brands are very afraid to advertise anything related to the performance of accuracy. And you think that's very odd, you're a watch, that was sort of like why you were sold. But in the past, they found that when they did, there's so much variation in not only the actual watches from watch to watch, but in terms of how people wear them, the environment, <clears throat> that it was almost impossible to advertise anything but we think it's going to be this accurate. <laughs> and that made a lot of sense back in the day when these were sold as items that the consequences of of not being able to follow up the accuracy could cost someone their job. And the liability was like pretty big deal. But we're sort of beyond that now, right? We're 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 not in the era where there's a very large percentage of people who are buying mechanical watches and relying on them for career or life like this is a very rare thing where this is happening these are sort of fun enthusiast toys just like fast cars and just like fast cars it's not the idea that it can go fast but you actually care how fast it can go right Mm. like it's not just like and there's this amazing big engine and look at these brakes and we theorize it goes really fast that's not enough Like you gotta know, you gotta test it. That's sort of why people care. So that last thing, how fast does it go is like danced around in the watch industry. And I'm thinking that it's sort of a new way of actually being able to appreciate watches because the watches made today are very, very good. And brands that are underdogs right now who happen to have a lot of accuracy, I think will get a lot more attention. And maybe brands that thought that were very, you know, top of the market and great, but that don't actually perform that well, well, maybe they need to step it up a little bit. The reality is that these watches can be very accurate, tend to be very accurate. And yes, there are some excusable situations why they don't perform well, such as, you know, they're magnetized or something like that. But again, because most consumers aren't relying on this, I actually think that it does more good than harm. There are risks with advertising accuracy. Now, why do I say standardization? It's because if people are going to advertise the accuracy, well, the first thing brands are going to do is create metrics which are self-serving. Right, they're just gonna like just like in-house manufacturer. That doesn't mean anything. Like, oh, it's in-house. It's in-house. So
1: we're talking about your MPG Volkswagen. We're talking about you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, diesel get aside. What what I'm saying is that you know we have to combine two two things. Tell them to advertise accuracy, but also give the consumer a trusted way of being able to measure between watches. Because again, if if it's left up to the brands, they'll concoct some cockamamie definition of accuracy <laughs> which suits them and no one else. And and I know they'll do it. And I'm just saying, that's why there needs to be some standardization.
1: This genuinely made me think as to, you know, on, on British Top Gear, I don't know if it's the same on other Top Gears around the world, they used to have the test track that they put all the cars around with the same driver. It did get me thinking as to whether there is actually a validity there. And a blog to watch, we will time graph everything that comes in. As it comes in, you know, the brand send it to us. We'll take it time. I will tell you for the watch, they send us exactly what the plus and minuses are and the frequencies for that watch as it arrives out the box as being probably the closest thing you can get to this is actually a real-world situation. You know, it's gone through the post. It's had a bit of a rat on a shake. And here it is, folks.
0: I think actually it would be more interesting. Uh, it would take longer, but a regular check in with a reference clock, right? So you have one or more watches and that you regularly check in, maybe every day or mm. every week with some type of high accuracy, you know, atomic clock or something like that. It doesn't matter. It could literally be internet time in your computer. And you yeah. just say like, okay, this is, this is the, what it should be and what does it say? And that might actually have more of a visceral fun to it and is maybe more social media friendly where you just sort of check in and you don't even know because the time graph, remember, That's how well the watch is performing then. But the sign of a true great timepiece is how it performs in various types of conditions and how it averages out the different wrist positions, whether it's still, whether it's in motion, like... A great watch doesn't perform well in a sitting position on a timing machine, which is being listened to in the moment. It's how it performs in real life.
1: So there you go. If you're a watch brand listening to this and you want to be the first watch into our weekly challenge, you can pick who you want to send it to. If you're a watch brand, we'll give you the ability to pockle the numbers based on who (laughs) you send the watch to. You know, Ariel... Fairly sedentary life, you know, sits there just writing and reading all day. You could send it to him, or you could send it to me, the guy driving the vibrating tractors around the farm. So you can decide as to which one of the lifestyles you think your watch will perform best in over maybe a weekly test.
0: Sedentary?
1: <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> not according watch, to my smartwatch, sir. I get my steps <laughs> in.
1: If, if your watch performs well in a seated position, <laughs> David, any thoughts on uh, watch accuracy and the validity of this as a kind of independent measure?
2: Yeah, I th- I think it's it's kind of funny when people expect absolute accuracy from wristwatches. There are people who who look into like, oh, my watch, you know, deviated like by three sec- seconds this week as opposed to last week. It just doesn't work that way. And, uh, you know, sure, you can measure it and it's easy to to keep track of. But the the, the quality of the work that the watch movement is performing every second is, is just incredibly complicated and is affected by so many different yeah, environmental effects and all that, all, that, all that kind of stuff. So I think brands should be aiming to get into yet smaller and smaller tolerances when it comes to the accuracy of the watches that they make. And Rolex has proven that you can make a million watches uh, within minus two, plus two seconds um, of tolerances, which is, which is just incredible. Yeah, I think we will see more and more brands uh, push themselves to attain better-than-cost accuracy ratings soon, since, again, Rolex is doing it, Omega is doing it. Some of the brands have started doing it, at least in some select watches or models or collections. Yeah, I, I think we have to keep on pushing the brands from greater accuracy, but not within seconds per week or, or something like that. Because, again, these are objects that we wear in different environments, different temperatures, with different motions and actions and shocks and impacts and all that. And so there will be variations uh, to some extent. But again, the, uh, the industry has come a long way over the last 10, 15 years when it comes to improving accuracy for sure
1: final note on this was novel approaches to classic complications so i'll ask this question first of yourself pete what is the world's most useless watch complication Um,
3: for most people on a day-to-day basis probably a running seconds hand (laughs) (laughs) equation of time has got to be in there with a good chance moon phase but again on mine i've got Quite a few watches, and I don't think I've ever set the date. So on my watches, a date is a useless complication. And if you need your watch to tell you what day it is, I think you've got bigger problems. But then on the other hand, I don't think that's the point of a complication anyway. The point of a complication is to have fun. And I think I completely agree with with what Ariel wrote here. I think so many um, complications come across to me as like office party fun. You will have fun when you enjoy looking at, at the thing that we worked really hard to bring you. And on the count of three, we will all cheer.
1: I don't get a sense of joy from a lot of complications I see. So, Ariel, but to taking Peter's thoughts further on, what is the photocopy your bum on the office photocopier of complications?
0: I don't think I have an answer to that yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, I think the point of this was if you're going to ask yourself how you can change something up in an industry that likes to be relatively static, the idea is to, to change up the visualization. We've all agreed that there's a list of like, I don't know, 12 complications and then that's it. They're not going to make <laughs> new ones and maybe once in a while they, they will. But for the most part, I'm not going to like wait around for some new complication that can be created because obviously making a mechanical thing versus an actual electronic thing with software, I don't know. It just doesn't make that much sense. But why does, you know, why does the chronograph layout need to look more or less the same? Can we not play around with it more? We play around with how the time is displayed. Watch brands have a great time, you know, experimenting with that or work and other companies make entire brands around displaying the time in a novel way. And for certain exotic complications like a per- perpetual calendar, you've seen them explore all these different ways of having a perpetual calendar. But this is at such a high end that I think it's not necessarily feasible to say that it's industry changing, but you can see that it's a crowd pleaser. So whatever you can do to reimagine how those classic complications are displayed, I think is going to be provocative and interesting. I mean, the moon face, for example, mostly useless, yet we're really emotionally drawn to it. So rather than make it smaller and smaller and be like, hey, we have the world's tiniest moon phase you know i like what those other brands have done i remember martin braun did he's just like make it huge people like to see it make it make it huge but thinkers like him are 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 still relatively rare and big brands often don't fund it i think that companies would probably gain a lot of valuable intellectual property by investing in novel ways of rendering popular complications i mean the gmt so popular. And again, there's been some experimentation, but I think over the last couple of years it's kind of slowed down. And you know, in my point in my collecting, if you see one GMT, I swear you feel like you've seen them all. And that's not a good good thing because I need to not be bored of GMTs as much as I am.
1: David, are complications going through a rise or a fall just now? I kind of get the impression that people uh, and maybe it's just the phase I'm in of watch collecting are kind of just getting a bit, kind of, yeah, whatever, and are, are more inclined towards simpler watches. To touch on Ariel's comments earlier about colors, they're more looking at materials, color, actual design, rather than, oh, look, it does 43 different things.
2: Yeah, I think uh, there's a transition in some way. I think we've been seeing fewer base watches in the sense that, like, time-only watches, it's very rare. All of them have the date. Many more have a GMT function or something like that, or a chronograph. But we've been lacking grand complications. They they have faded completely when you compare how many are launched in a year, you know, let's say last year as opposed to 10 years ago or 15 years ago when brands were measuring their their position or their know-how or whatever else their capabilities in in grand complications and they realized, you know, well, it's tremendously expensive to develop any one of these movements and we cannot sell that many of them, people don't really care or understand them. And so, yeah, instead what we're seeing are moderately complicated watches tons and tons of chronographs and, and you know, a lot um, a lot of GMTs as well, which is good to see. But I don't see any new major complications. Uh, you know, the democratization of perpetual calendars, for example, has stopped completely. Four or five years ago, we saw Montblanc and Chagere and, and, the, and the Frederick Constant, I should say, uh, launched relatively affordable perpetual calendars. And, you know, that stopped as well, almost completely. So, yeah, it's just chronographs and GMTs and dates, basically, these days.
0: I got to add something here. Let's not underestimate the importance of what I'll just say is like whirly moving things. The perpetual calendar, the reason it didn't catch on in that democratized form was that it's an extremely unsexy complication, right? Like it's like all the fun of like going to the bank. Okay. Oh, it's really <laughs> like, bad.
2: <laughs> it's worse than going to the bank.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it's just not that sexy <laughs> to know all these things. So what I, what I mean by like innovation in the display Think of, like, Casio, who has experimented in so many ways using a combination of analog and digital or, or actual, you know, creating shapes with digital components and blocks. Change the way, like, the time is displayed or the seconds are counted or just lots of little, you know, whirly moving things. And our eyes like that. We like Sparkle. I mean, I remember one of the most successful Cartier luxury watches I remember was the one where they called it was called the vibrating diamonds, just because not only do the diamonds refract light, but they actually themselves moved around and it just made the dazzle all the more dazzling. Like it was the most basic thing in the world that it was doing. But you're just like, oh, thank you. That's what I wanted. I just wanted more more shine in my face. That's all I need. And by the way, when it comes to these you know, uh, more minor complications, Cartier has a great term that, that other brands share. It's just little complication versus grand complication, right? So that's sort of the way they think about it. Is, you know, or otherwise, not expensive complication. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, again, I think that there's a rich area of debate here. But the brands sit around and they are like, oh, yeah, so uh, what should we design, huh? Like so I'm like trying to give them like, Okay, here's some directions, everyone. Like, you know, with these ideas, see what you can come up with. Just hopefully it's a direction because again, I have conversations with them and they're like, Mm, so what do you think will make us money? I'm like, Well, I wish I knew but we can start with some new ideas, maybe that.
1: Well, go and check out the article. It's a particularly active comment section. In fact, most of the articles released this week have had very active comment section. Clearly, everyone's kind of woken up, got over Christmas and New Year. Oh, Happy New Year, by the way. We forgot last week. I was trying to make it Happy New Year on every show, and we missed one, so maybe it has to stop now.
0: I'm still outstanding. And again, we're all watch nerds, so maybe I'm being heretical saying this, but I am outstanding how often people remark uh, related to the calendar or some calendar with many calendars it's like hey everyone is this day on the calendar as though like you know it's like one step below speaking about the weather because <laughs> the weather actually affects you
1: <laughs> because they have these like day of what is today what is today the day of it will be the day of something uh, <laughs> it is a national day it is Let's hear it. it is macintosh computer day
0: oh well someone needs to make a watch in honor for that
1: it is National Beer Can Appreciation Day.
0: Can't watch made out of beer cans.
1: National Compliment Day, Ariel. say, you're looking very dashing. Oh,
0: everyone else, you're looking great.
1: <laughs> National Peanut Butter Day. That's going to make a weird watch. That's going to be very bad for some people.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's going to be a bad day, not a day of celebration. And Change a Pet's Life Day, uh, a nice uh, squidgy one to finish.
0: Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real.
1: Let's uh, talk about some news. There has been quite a lot of news and probably the one that has gone mostly and has made the mainstream is this children's clock firm being asked to rebrand by Rolex. You can check out the BBC website for this but this is the Oyster and Pop clock that apparently is named oyster and pop because that's the road that the two creators in devon in southwest england used to live on and the rolex oyster perpetual and the kids clock is basically a big wall clock designed to teach kids how to tell the time and Rolex are doing what Rolex do, which is, you know, this will have popped across their solicitor's desk. You're on a big retainer who need to do something for the retainer. So this is what they're doing. But I wonder whether that an opportunity has actually been lost here. And that this is one of those times when Rolex should have gone, you know what, let's actually engage with this rather than, you know, just be seen as being just a little bit Special.
0: What would engaging with it actually mean? I'm just curious. What, what does that mean? I don't mean? know. I think
1: they could have, I think they could have, it could almost have been like one of those guerrilla campaigns, which is, yeah, kids, if you learn to tell the time and you work really hard at school and you do all your, you know, I you kind of built it into an education. You too could be a hedge fund manager. <laughs> <laughs> Working in New York and own uh, a Rolex. Someday
0: you too will be on a waiting list. <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, do you want me to be the intellectual property attorney that I am and explain <sighs> it, or do you want me to just like make it fun?
1: Bit of both, because uh, the thing is that last week it was demonstrated by Casio about how to deal with your watch becoming an item of fun or an item of controversy in the media, and they you know, leaned into it and got a great PR out of it. I think Rolex, somebody clever, could have figured out a way of leaning into this and got out of it. Now, I understand the intellectual property, and I suspect Rolex will win if they choose to take it the distance, but Ariel, how much are you charging us for this <laughs> advice, Ariel? Just no, I'm
0: just going <laughs> to explain it. It's very simple, and honestly, <laughs> Rolex might look kind of like a bully here, and they're kind of just doing what they need to do to protect yes. their terms. So. I think most people agree that Rolex wants to protect their usage of the term oyster. They use the term oyster a lot. They have products called oyster this, and it's just, it's the case is called oyster. They use it. Oyster steel. It's just everywhere oyster, right? Now Rolex has a trademark on various uses of the term oyster, not every term oyster. It's, it's also an animal and something that you eat, but in a certain context, especially in the sphere of watches and, and timekeeping, Rolex wants to do everything possible to make sure that when you hear oyster, you think of them. So they have a trademark usage of the term oyster. Now, in the in the way that trademark law works, you have to actively protect it. Meaning that when there's people out there that use the term, you have to go out there and say, no, that's mine, people associate with me. You have to actively litigate against improper usage or you could lose your trademark rights. So yep. Rolex has this list of terms and marks and things like that, including their name Rolex. And yes, there are law firms that are you know, on, on retainers and, 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 and are, are basically kept on just to do this specific legal task, which is go around the world and find usages of Rolex's terms to tell people to stop because they're required to do so under the the current rules of international trademark, especially in the United States, to protect those terms so that they can be associated with you. Now, here's the interesting part. If that person defends against it and wins, Rolex doesn't necessarily lose all of its trademark. It sort of loses this very narrow slice of it in the form of that particular usage— and they still get to to retain their trademark and that one usage is allowed. So unfortunately, let's say that it ends up that this this clockmaker, you know, Oyster and Pops is allowed to, to continue, it will only be after this legal proceeding that says that this is not in fact usage which makes people believe this came from rolex and that's long and expensive and again there's probably nuances that i'm not discussing but the overall thing is that in order to maintain the protection of these terms which we all agree that rolex probably wants to maintain they have to actively go after people that's just the way it works
3: i actually found myself thinking that this was a lost opportunity for oyster and pop i mean you get the cease and desist from rolex you're probably gonna lose you probably can't afford to defend it but yeah you know, here we are we're all talking about it this was their opportunity to get a rebrand and have the universe know what their new brand is and they've let it go this was the time when they have to be saying and we had to change our name to something
0: else they can just call themselves not rolex clocks <laughs> it'll be great
1: yeah <laughs> yeah i would just remove the Y, become Oster and pop, ask us why, uh, you know, and ask us why question mark underneath it, just with the why, and, and keep it there. I did contemplate trying to get one to put in the video in the background they can here. They could have a for, different for animal, it show. could be
0: like a limpet, you know, or a li- you know, <laughs> <laughs> limpet inside. Muscles, <laughs> muscle,
1: muscle inside. and pop, muscle and pop. <laughs> some other numbers in the news, we'll touch on this briefly because we're halfway through, more than halfway through the show, we've actually reviewed any watches yet. Uh, so two numbers which were in the news this week, which are both equally ridiculous. The first is that Swatch are, say they're on track to sell 1.5 million moon Swatches. And the second ridiculous number is that Bremen is worth $100 million.
0: $130 million.
1: Which of those two numbers is the most ridiculous, Ariel? That Ooh. Swatch have sold 1.5 or that... The media have misinterpreted
0: well, the buying shares know of a company. That Swatch has just reported they've sold a million of them, according to their own yep. figures. And so I think they're saying that they're they believe that there's at least another half million that they can sell, which I, I they they probably can. I don't know how much more after that. Um, so that was the big hit of theirs. So those numbers, I believe, I don't have enough information to to comment on the rest. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's basically, they appear to have sold 300 million, or beyond course, about $300 million worth of plastic watches. I mean, that's not bad Swatch
0: going. is a big, expensive-to-run company. I'm glad they have this operating revenue.
1: Do you think they are going to come up with something else? just in time for watches and wonders certainly
0: going to (laughs) try
1: do you think it will be just another like if you're sitting there and you've got the choice of doing whatever you want pete are you doing another moon swatch just a different color with a different theme or are you leaning into swatch in relation to something else within the swatch group either a different omega or a I don't know, Braggie, the Breggy Swatch. I'd need more data, you know,
3: for what's happening with the brands. When people analyze what happens here, they always think you're going to try and play the same trick a second time. You know, like we're going to have the C Swatch or, or, you know, some sort of Bond one and we're going to get the same. Maybe you will or maybe you won't. But I think the next one of these, and I think there will be one, Will be again something like Bond themed or something, try and drum up more support. So maybe a Seamaster you know, type thing. But after that, it'd be interesting to kind of reverse the polarity and instead of using Bond and Omega to sell swatches, use swatches to sell something else. You know, Blancpont, Breguet, those guys are woefully unknown outside of our geeky little community. Swatch goes and creates, I don't know, steal someone else's trademark, a League of Legends collection, and then, you know, tr- do continue this theme, but, you know, give us a Breguet Type 20, give us a with themed on different materials you make aeroplanes out of, or, you know, 50 fath- fathoms, one for each you know, color for the seven seas or something, and use it to make people that don't normally think about watches think about Blancpont and uh, Breguet. But I don't think we're there yet. So I think the next one will be another well-known watch and it'll probably be bought based on a bond thing
1: david you were the person to speak to last year's watches and wonders because you were supporting a moon swatch and it got more attention than the very expensive watch you were wearing on your other wrist do you expect That's to be right. pulling off the same trick this year
2: i don't think so i think such things happen every five to 10 years at most maybe once once every 10 years um i really don't think they will be able to do it they can ride the wave of the Moons Watch I, I There's still some potential in it, but I don't think that they can create the same sort of craze anytime soon.
1: New section, which Mike provided the title for, called Branch Ambassadors. And this is where a brand ambassador is photographed wearing a different watch than the brand that in theory they're supposed to be wearing. And the photo that was doing the rounds this week was of Brad Pitt wearing a Vacheron Constantin Triple Two, a very, very nice watch, rather than the Breitling, which, yes, he's maybe not supposed to, he's maybe not got a contract that says you must wear this 24 seven, but I just thought it was interesting that this photo did quite the rounds that it has done. And it does tend to be that when a brand ambassador, maybe a Mr. Beckham, is caught wearing a Rolex rather than a Tudor that people sit up and pay attention. Ariel, do brands care? Are they that bothered? Or is this just nice clickbait for the likes of us talking about people wearing watches that are famous? I mean,
0: look, Brad Pitt's value to Breitling is basically as a model. He's someone to be seen wearing their watches on the website and advertising. He's a recognizable face in a marketing context. Him wearing one of their watches 24 hours a day is really not the primary value and he's a known watch enthusiast. You know, he's this picture. I don't know where it made the rounds, but I recognize where it was taken. It's in a watch store. Okay. He's, he's not exactly on a red carpet somewhere or going somewhere. The the paparazzi is going to be like, why are you wearing that watch in a watch store? Like he's doing a watch guy thing. Like it's okay. He, that store actually sells Breitling. Maybe he's getting his Breitling watch serviced. I don't know. But like if Breitling gets upset about that, there's other problems going on, right? There
1: was was it Charlize Theron about maybe 10, 15 years ago, got sued for wearing.
0: Oh, I think it was the it was the Sharon Stone it, and Chanel one.
1: Was it not? They were supposed to be wearing a Raymond Vial and instead they were wearing a Cartier or something.
0: Oh, maybe there's another. There's 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 been that. Yeah, look, with women it's a little bit different because I think the media hyper focuses on what women wear, in a way that maybe men don't necessarily get that same type of attention so i can't really Mm -hmm. comment as to if the same rules apply with a female ambassador i don't know but for a male ambassador like brad pitt i don't think it matters but others are hyper loyal like george clooney for example i believe he's pretty consistently omega like he's 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 a supporter he represents and and there are people like that that like they are through and through a loyalist that relationship means everything to them but remember Brad Pitt is someone who has been collecting watches for a, l- a long time before he ever got into a relationship with Breitling.
1: David, do you think that within the world of, you know, famous people, is there, is there a hierarchy? Like, do you think these guys ever get together and go, ha, mate, you, you're a... You're a tag ambassador. I, I, I wear Richard Mule. Do you think the Formula 1 drivers are sitting there going, yeah, I really would love to be winning the F1 World Championship driving a Red Bull. Only problem is I would then have to <laughs> have tag as my sponsor. As opposed to, yeah, I don't mind finishing well down the grid in Aston Barn, but it means I'm wearing a grr Perigo.
2: Right, I, I'm sure that they uh, give each other a hard time every once in a while, for sure, definitely. I, I find it ridiculous sometimes seeing these, these drivers wear like $300,000 watches or something like that and, and just get it stolen off their wrist every once in a while. I think Leclerc had a... Richard Mille stolen off his wrist or something at some point. So they're just out there wearing these watches and they get stolen. And then some other, brand, uh, other team is sponsored by Casio or something. So there's a huge discrepancy in terms of value uh, when it comes to, you know, these brands and, and watch brands that, that are supporting these teams and the and, uh, actors as well. So sure, I, I can imagine some banter here and there for sure.
1: Okay, first up is actually an article that was commented on the most this weekend. This was David upsetting everybody. And this is his review of the Giger LeCoultre JLC Master Control Chronograph Calendar Watch. And I have to say, David, I think I probably 110% agree with you on everything you say in this article. And indeed, the way you said it. Tell us what you think, David, is the point that most people are getting upset about. Because there are a few upset people.
2: Uh, yeah, there, there certainly are, and that's okay.
1: Um, well, David has also just switched his camera on, so happy haircut, David. Uh,
2: so yeah, uh, it, that happens. Uh, it shows the uh, the gravitas of Jaeger, which is which is great. It's it's a company that I admire and that I love, and I've owned uh, Jaeger before. It's just not that great of a watch, and it was I was shocked when I saw the price. I, I remember uh, I took these photos at Watches and Wonders Geneva, um, so almost a year ago. Uh, but the watch was under embargo for quite a long time into the into the year, and then we just got around to cover it because it's just not an exciting a release. I mean, the Master uh, collection in this guise has been around for almost thirty years, actually, and I, I make this point also that it's interesting that Jaeger that likes to celebrate an anniversary basically every freaking year for the reverse or for something else uh, 30 years of the celebrating that they're still going yeah 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 <laughs> basically and and for for the for the master at this 30 year anniversary just just sell, sell just passed by and uh, there was no fanfare anything like that and that was kind of surprising to me and again this is a dated watch and someone's making this comment like oh you know how can how- Everything is dated in the watch industry, and I'm like, no, it isn't. Just because it's a, it's an antiquated technology, it doesn't mean that they that we cannot call a watch dated. If you look at a 1940s Hamilton, you would definitely say that it's dated. You know, by every chance. I mean, not something that looks timeless or something like that, but 95% of the watches are dated even though they use the same technology, right? From the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever. And likewise, this watch has some design elements on it that are from 30 years ago, namely the typography, the, uh, the proportions, and so on. And I figured, you know, for almost $18,000, this is just, this is a stretch and uh, quite a big one at that
1: i saw this watch as well with you at watches and wonders and i think we were a bit kind of why are you showing this year and then putting it under embargo yeah. it's not like oh, well, it's not like oh by the way we've got all this stuff we're releasing and, and guys just wait till you see what's coming right like, well it's very nice but it's not like embargo worthy yeah to be showing us this far in advance i thought it was a bit weird this watch obviously fails my own personal calendar test which is it shows the day of the week and the date in a window and then shows the date in a pointer so it loses from that point of view. just I, I just don't like that sort of thing.
0: yeah it's just I got to clear up the cognitive dissonance here. Look th- th- this is the problem. Jagere as a brand sees itself as a company that can charge this much for a watch and they do have an ability to, to make watches and do things that other brands can't do. The problem is is that this watch was designed to be a far lower end product, not bad just not at this price level. So the problem is a mismatch between how the product managers at Chagere believe they, they see themselves and believe what they should be charging and what they're actually doing with this product. They haven't stepped up their game. Like this could be an amazing product for them out of money. It'd have to be a lot better in a lot of ways. And so they either make the product that can justify this price or they charge what this product should cost which is way less than that, and the problem is they're trying to get everything.
1: Yeah, and, and this isn't even, uh, you know, it, this is not a perpetual calendar. It's not even an annual calendar. It's just a calendar. Yeah, you, you have to reset this every month, depending on the number of days in the month, and it's a moon phase as well. So it's gonna, you're gonna have. I assume this is pushers at the side. It's not like they're using the IWC where you can control all with the crown. You're going to have to fidget with this every month. It's going to be take a take the brand
0: year. off the dial, and then you have a. Then we can have a debate: what should should they be charged? I don't think this watch should cost more than a few thousand bucks.
1: I agree. I think it's a <laughs> it is a bomb mercy calendar type. If that you know three 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 and a half, two yeah, three and a half grand exactly. That's uh, that's that,
0: this this watch. This watch shouldn't ever like, breach $5,000, and that's a, big, that's a big stretch. Again, I understand that the brand sees themselves. They're trying to be the brand that people spend about twenty or $25,000 on. I understand all that, but you have to have the product to justify it, yeah, and they'll be like, well, we're, we're in a transitional phase. That may be, but we're saying that uh, we like you as a brand. We like what you do but we cannot stand behind these prices because you're just not delivering it. Like this is this yeah. is an archaic product.
1: Yeah, I love them as a brand, but this just isn't doing it. Pete, JLC fan? Yeah,
3: big JLC fan. Um, but I also agree with everything that's just said. I just feel a little bit like JLC is sometimes kind of sleepwalking through their development. They're doing what they do and doing what they've been doing for a long time. And kind of, Spending a lot of time drinking their own bathwater and losing track that the rest of the industry is kind of stepping away from them.
0: It's no secret that they're not spending. It's really that simple. Like we can sit there and say what they should. It's no secret that them and, and some other uh, yeah, family brands are not spending right now. There is money. Will they spend again? Probably. But what we're seeing is more than a year of a lack of investment, a lack of spending, a lack of trying new things. They're trying to see this as a long-term thing. They think they're being smart and and not spending money right now. And that may be, but as we are people who are commenting on the Watch News, I think everyone agrees, this is not the, the strongest time in JLC's history.
1: Yeah, I mean, elsewhere on the website, we have reviewed a Christian VanderClaw, which is less than half the price of this. And while you may or may not like the aesthetic, it is a limited edition run of 50 watches from a Top high end manufacturer with a
0: planetarium.
1: From yeah, exactly. I and it just knocks us into okay. You might it's a kind of slightly gearish looking thing. Go and have a look in the website, but you may not like the colouring. But in terms of comparing, it's absolutely night and day. In terms of the the pricing proposition and what you get yeah uh, bang for your buck but also going back to something you mentioned earlier about
3: you know a, a sense that there's a falling appetite a decreasing appetite for complications and an increasing appetite for design and some some flair and fun um yeah comparing this watch to the the master control calendar it's you know the christian christian vanderclaw looks fantastic but it's probably no secret that, oh, I don't think it's surprising that like there's a nine month wait for a Polaris with a green dial that looks amazing. Um, And you'll probably get massive discounts on a whole bunch of classic and slightly complicated JLCs. It's just like they they almost refuse to be a, a design organization. Every now and then they do something great and everyone gets really excited. And then we go back to, Really boring master controls.
1: So there we go. We are literally reviewing one and a half watches for you this week. So we hope you enjoyed the rest of the chat. There is plenty to catch up on the website. Go and check out in particular the Lorne Ferry and the Girard Perigo. I was going to raise the Zenith Defy revival just because it is Zenith going back into their archive. And we all know how David really likes it when brands do that david give us a, out of 10 what did you rate the zenith defy revival eight there you oh, go No, it's not bad not yeah. bad not bad We give it an eight give it an eight so if you would like to go and check out those watches and get involved in the chat then please do hmm. have a lookout for everything that's coming from both superlative and a blog to watch weekly both on audio also on youtube uh, keep an eye on the website. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining us. Sorry, using your Sunday name there. Pete, thanks for joining us. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well, on the on the YouTubes, I am just
3: Pete McConville. Um, and if you go to Instagram, um,
1: Pete.McConville.Watches, that's where
2: you'll oh, find me.
1: So we've got a dot, dot and a dash from David. <laughs> David, where where are you on the internet?
2: It's abtw underscore David and theblocktowards.com. That's where you find me. And Ariel,
0: you can read my articles on the blog to watch.com You can listen to me here and on my other podcast, Superlative. And you can find me on Instagram at Ariel to Watch.
1: Excellent, and you can find me at at Rick TikTok. I right. thank you for listening. Do like, subscribe, review, all those kind of things. Tell a friend, and tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.